unlabel, the gridiron of the home, where battles are fought in the trenches, where tempers flare and where eyes are rolled. But it is on this field where parents coach and quarterback their families to victory. These are the moments that can define a great team. In the heat of the game, there's no telling which way the ball will bounce. But when the whistle blows, those in charge will take control. The coach must guide the team to victory, while the quarterback must utilize his skills to navigate the family across life's frozen tundra. These are the principles that win, the play calls we must make to guide our family to victory. Now I love to have fun with my family. I think all families love to have fun and enjoy that time together. And uh, we like to go out and do fun things. And so we'll look for things that are happening in the community. And, and one of those things that we like to do is we like to go to a uh, fair. I mean, you know, you like to take kids to the fair. They have bounce houses. They've got, you know, uh, you know petting zoo and, and all those kinds of things. And so we decided a couple years ago to take our kids to the fair because we thought that would be really fun to do as a family. But we also had an ulterior motive, my wife and I did. You see, it wasn't just any old fair. It was a uh, community health fair. And at a community health fair, they offer free flu shots. And so um, we thought we could save some money with four kids and the two of us. And, and so we thought, let's get them all flu shots. But, but we get to tell them we're going to a fair. And so we took them to the fair. They got all excited to go to the fair. And they did those things that we do at the fair. And, and you know, they got to ride the ponies and do all that good stuff and have some of the, the food. And then before we, we left the fair, we went to the... Um, the booth for the hospital, right, where they were doing all the shots. And so sure enough, we lined them up, and then they were on to us. They knew they were screaming, and they did not like this, but we got all the flu shots for free. But the problem is now we have scarred them for life, that when we talk about going to the fair or anything like that, they, they just, like, they, they're scared. Like, we went to the, the circus a couple of weeks ago that came through town here at Westworld. We hadn't been to the circus before, and so we got some tickets and wanted to go with them. We said, girls, we're going to the circus. And you, what did you think they asked? Are we getting shots? <laughs> like, no, we're not getting shots. It's the circus. And so we are constantly, uh, you know, learning as parents. We all make our mistakes, and we have scarred our children, and hopefully they'll, they'll get over that at some point. But, uh, but, you know, we're trying to learn. Parenting is something that, that we can get better at. Those of us that are, that are parents in the series, as we're talking about God's parenting playbook, we want to learn from God and how he parents us. And we're looking at God's word, and we're trying to understand our relationship with him. And so whether or not you have kids, uh, we are all children of God, and we can all learn about that relationship from him, but we also want to learn about how to help uh, parents raise their kids. And so even if you don't have kids, you're not a parent, uh, maybe you're an aunt, or you're an uncle, or you are a grandparent, and I've been, it's been great to hear from some of you that are in those different stages that have shared and said, you know, there's some good stuff here that we can really apply in, in different ways. So we're going to continue to look deeper into that. Now, we began the series a couple of weeks ago, uh, my wife and 
and I co-taught, and we talked about beginning with the end in mind, that we are God's masterpiece, and that our children are a masterpiece. Now, I just have to just say here real quick as we begin, when my wife and I taught, if you remember, she was wearing an Andrew Luck Colts jersey, and I was wearing a Larry Fitzgerald uh, Cardinals jersey, and then she was bragging about how well she's going to do in fantasy football this year, and we were two weeks into it, and um, she's 0-2, just so you know. She's 0-2. I'm 1-1, and the Colts are... 0-2, oh, and, and our Cardinals, 2-0, baby. All right, so I just got to get that clear. No hard feelings, but, you know, I got to rub it in when I can. I got the platform here. So we talked about um, being this, this beginning at this, this place where we are building cathedrals. If you remember that analogy, that we're trying to see the potential in our kids and really understand what God has given us, and that it, the way that we get there is brick by brick, wall by wall, until we build this cathedral. And sometimes we get lost in the mundane, and we forget what this is all about. And even in our spiritual life, sometimes we forget what is this all about? What's God trying to build in us? And we lose sight of things because we're so focused on the day-to-day. And so today as we wrap up this series, we want to see how do we get to that masterpiece and how does God continue to shape us? And we're going to look at some, some big concepts. We're going to talk about discipline. We've got to talk about discipline a little bit as we're talking about parenting and how God disciplines us. We're going to talk about freedom and choices, rewards and, and consequences, And then there's one more big thing that we're going to close with that really sets God's parenting apart of us from anything else and that we really can can learn a lot from and that changes our lives. So let's pray and then we'll get into God's word about this important topic. Heavenly Father, thank you for a place where we can gather, where we can open our hearts, where we want to just um, allow your spirit to speak to us, to meet us at our deepest point of need. God, I know some here this morning, uh, as we think about parenting, are, are struggling in a different, difficult situation in their family with maybe one of their kids or a strained relationship. God, I pray that you would speak into that. Or some have young kids or older kids, teenage kids. Some are empty nesters. God, we just pray. For those that long to have a family, God, we pray that you would um, just, just surround them. So today, God, speak into us and help us to feel your love as our Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So we began last, uh, well, we began, but last week my wife started with uh, the Garden of Eden, talking about this beginning where God created man, and there he was in relationship with his children, with his creation. And one of the things we talked about is that he began by setting up a, a loving environment, okay? And that's where it began. This garden was just this, this loving place. I'm not, that was not a very good heart at all. Wow. Um, you'd think I'd do better with four daughters. I would know how to draw a heart better. Our, heart is, our house is littered with hearts. So God um, created this loving environment, this garden where he said, everything in here is yours. You can flourish in it. You can enjoy this. I've created all of this for you. It is all here for you. Live and enjoy and have dominion over it. And so God created this foundation. And then he created this limit, though, didn't he? He said, but there is this, there is something there's this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and, and, and for your benefit and for your life and everything for you, don't eat of this tree. You have everything else. You can do everything else, but here's this, this limit, and, and if you eat of this tree, surely you will die. And so God put forward this limit, and, and Shannon talked last week that love sets limits, and sometimes we wrestle through that as parents. We wrestle through this with God. How can a loving God set limits? Doesn't he just want us to have this freedom to do whatever it is that we want? Well, what this limit really represents right here is choice, right? Let's write that on here, choice. And that choice also equals freedom. 
freedom. When we think about these, this barrier here and this boundary and this choice and this freedom, this is where discipline comes into play. What happens when you cross that boundary? What happens when you, when you do something that you've been told not to do as a kid or as a follower of Christ? Now, when you think about this word discipline, have you ever realized how similar that word is to another word that we use in the church a lot? Disciple. Discipline and disciple have the same root word. And, and we have this negative connotation, I think, in life many times of discipline. I discipline. If somebody says you have to discipline yourself, it's like, oh, it means I have to work at something. I have to try at something. But through discipline, we can become disciples. A disciple, someone who obeys, someone who follows and wants to become like another and, and does those, th- those very things. And it's through this process of discipline and how we learn to respond to the limits and how are we are rewarded or how we have punishments, that is the shaping that begins to happen in us that moves us more and more towards becoming all who God created us to be and how we shape our children to become what they've been created to be. Now, in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, it talks about, the Bible talks about discipline and God's discipline for us. And he uses even the illustration of a father and how we do that naturally. But let me read to you a little bit out of this. It says, my child, don't ignore it when the Lord disciplines you, and don't be discouraged when he corrects you, for the Lord disciplines those he loves. Sounds like a parent talking, right? I'm only disciplining you because I love you. And as a kid, you're going, that makes no sense, but we see it as a parent. This is because we love you. The Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes those he accepts as his children. But then in verse 11, it says this, no discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It is painful, but afterward... There will be a quiet harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. There'll be a quiet harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. And so what we're trying to do is we're creating discipline. And how do we discipline? How do we do that? Well, one of the key foundational pieces that I put up here is there has to be a choice. We set this limit because we're saying with inside this limit, there is great fullness of life. There's flourishing there. Outside of this limit, there is pain. And so um, what we could do is we could just say and, and make this a solid line and never let kids fail. Never let them mess up. Never let them mistake. That would be like God in the Garden of Eden building like a 50-foot, 100-foot tower bricked around it with, with barbed wire fence all around that tree and saying, I'm not even going to give you the opportunity to eat anything of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil because I know there's death there and I can't have that for you. But what? why didn't God do that? Because without that freedom, there is no love. If he doesn't give that freedom, that ability to choose, he understands that's at the heart of relationship, that we must have the ability and the freedom to follow, the freedom to pursue what he has for us. And so as we think about, as, as parents, we understand that there's love and there's relationship there and that we aren't controlling robots, that, but we are trying to shape their heart. We're trying to shape the character as God is with us. And so what he does and what we need to do is we need to continue to expand those boundaries to continue to expand that place where we allow freedom for our children. So let me put it in the context of something that that I think we can all relate to, and that's with our children and as we grow older, this idea of mobility, this ability to to move. So so when you have a baby, right? Newborn comes home, cute little thing. They all look the same, right? Um, When you take a baby... I'm sorry, yours is way cuter than everyone else's. Yours is the (laughs) cutest baby. Your grandchild is the cutest ever. So you have this little baby, right? And you take this baby and you set the baby down, of course, in a nice, comfortable thing, and you leave the room. Where's the baby when you come back? It's right there. 
The baby doesn't go anywhere, right? Baby has no mobility. It is just there. It only has mobility wherever you take it. It has no freedom. It has no boundaries. That's it. It's right here wherever you go. Now that baby starts to roll, and all of a sudden, now you're putting like, you know, when you set it on the bed, you're putting pillows on the side, whatever, trying not to get it to roll over or roll away. And as parents, then, that, that, that great day that you're waiting for as a, as a parent, the day your kid learns to walk, Now, as an experienced parent myself, let me tell you, if your kid has not reached that stage yet, rejoice, right? It's one of those crazy things we get so excited for our kids to walk, and then we're thinking, we didn't realize how good we had it when we put the baby down, and we came back, and the baby was there. Now they're walking, and what are we doing? We're putting, like, special latches on all the doors, right? We're putting baby gates up and plugging all all the outlets because we're trying to create a safe environment, and we're saying, within this environment, you have freedom. You can roam, and this is the safe place, but don't go past that because past that is danger. Past that is a pool. Past that is falling off the stairs. And what do kids do? They try to climb the gate. They try to push those boundaries, right? Or they cry because they don't want to be in those boundaries, but we know that's the loving thing to do. Then as they get a little older, right, we we head outside and we teach them how to ride this wonderful two-wheeled mobility device called a bicycle. And we send them down the street, careening down the street, and, you know, we put pads and everything on them, but, but they're okay once they learn how to ride, as long as you can see them, right? It's one of those deals. You can go to the end of the street, the end of the driveway, but that limit is as far as I can see, because within that, I can protect you, and there's safety there. Then there comes that stage where they want to ride the bike around the corner, right? And you can't see them anymore. And it's that first time as a parent where now you're going, my kids are not within that boundary. And then they turn 16, and you hand them keys to two tons of metal and send it that goes down the street at 60 miles an hour. And you're saying, freedom, go and you can have, there's so much more now for you to experience, but you still create a boundary there that says you need to be home by this time or you can't take your car and do this, that, or the other. And then eventually they send, you send them off either to college or they're grown and now they have life and the freedom on their own. Unless, of course, they can't find the job and they come back home and they're living in your house, right? And now they're there. You come home and they're right there where they started again. And you say, get out, go. <laughs> you can't stay here anymore. Now I'm doing the opposite. I'm going to draw a boundary. You have to stay outside of that boundary. Okay, so freedom has, has some differences, uh, that, different things that happen there. But, but the, it is so key here that, that God gives us freedom. And that we give our kids a chance and freedom and choice because that's what shapes within them. That's how they grow. Now look at Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 9. It says, follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. Don't you just wish the verse stopped there? Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. You have freedom. You can do and go and do whatever you want. But know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. Here comes the hellfire and brimstone this morning, okay? No, this is harsh. You kind of hear this and you go, you know, but God is saying, look, you have freedom. You really do. You can do whatever you want, whatever your eyes see. And, and, and I give you that opportunity to do that. But no, there are consequences that come from that, that there is judgment. And so what God is trying to do for us, he's trying to teach us responsibility. He's trying to teach us responsibility for our, our own actions. God didn't rescue Adam and Eve when they made that decision to eat of the tree. As parents, helicopter parents, as they're sometimes called, right? As soon as the kid is ready to make a mistake, we swoop him up. We rescue him. Oh, they're about to have, you know, their homework's going to get turned in late. We're not going to let that project turn in late. And we're saving all the time, and we're not teaching that responsibility. We're not passing over that idea that you are responsible for your own actions. My behavior is my problem. And that's really why we set 
some of these boundaries as parents is to try to teach kids that you are responsible for your own actions. The reason you can't go outside to play is because you didn't do your homework. It's not because I'm a bad parent and don't want you to have fun. I want you to have fun. I really do. But I want you to learn responsibility to do your homework. So I have to set up this boundary so that you will learn what it means to take responsibility for your own action. Or like when, when our kids, when they're upset and they're angry or, you know, and, and, and they say, well, why'd you hit your, 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 your sister? Well, I was mad. Well, what we try to say is, look, um, it's okay that you're mad. We get mad, but you have to be responsible. How do you handle being mad? How do you act out being mad? I'm not asking you not to be mad, but you need to be responsible. And you need to learn how to handle that in a better way. So teaching responsibility for our actions. We do that with kids. God is doing that with us. Now, how do we teach that responsibility? Scripture has a great law. This is a universal law that we need to make friends with early in life. And it's found in Galatians chapter 6, verse 5 and 7 through 9. Galatians chapter 6, verse 5 and 7 through 9. It is the law of sowing and reaping. Let's, let's read here what it says. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. Didn't we just got, we just got done saying that, right? Teaching responsibility for our own conduct. Don't be misled. Remember that you can't ignore God and get away with it. You will always reap what you sow. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful desires will harvest the consequences of decay and death. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. And so this principle of sowing and reaping. Now, we don't have, um, you know, an agricultural society here where we really spend a lot of time sowing and reaping. When was the last time you did any sowing and reaping in, in, in a field? Well, I do it every year. How many of you uh, overseed for the winter, right? You overseed, and if you do that for your lawns, you like to have a nice green lawn, I like to do that, I have to sow some seeds. And some years, uh, when I first started doing this, I didn't sow enough seed. And so when, the, when it finally grew up, it just kind of looked like a thinning hair that was there on the grass, and it really wasn't very inviting. But when I learned and more and more that the more effort I put in, when I started really you know, scalping the lawn down really good, getting it, getting it down, getting rid of that Bermuda grass, and then putting some, you know, some nice soil down, some topsoil, getting good seed and really putting a lot of seed down, then putting that steer manure that all the neighbors hated when I used to put that down, and I smelled really bad coming in the house, but I, was, I wanted a green lawn. I had to beat my neighbor. I had to have a better lawn than my neighbor did, and so I put that down and then watered for two weeks, and then watch as that grass comes up, and it's thick, and it's like a carpet, and, and then you can go, and you can have a picnic on there, and the kids play. See, when you sow, when you put in the effort and the time and the energy, on the other hand, you reap, or you ignore it, and you have a brown lawn, or you pay somebody to do it, right? But even so, you're sowing and you're reaping. So this is this principle of sowing and reaping that is, that is found in, in the Scripture, and it just makes sense to us. And it works in a very positive way. When you sow good choices, when you work hard, you're going to advance in your career. You're going to move forward in that way. When you study hard, you're going to get better grades. You're going to work more and more towards that. If you make enough calls, you're going to get some sales, if you're in sales, right? If you want to grow spiritually, if you study your Bible, if you come to church, if you really dig in deeper, you're going to grow. You're going to learn more. It's the sowing and reaping principle. And so in here, when you think about this choice and freedom, what this is really all about is sowing, right? This is the act of sowing. You have a choice. What are you going to do to sow? You have a decision to make. Are you going to stay within the bounds or go outside of them? And over here is the reaping on the other side of that. What do you reap? And what we just talked about, you can reap rewards. You can reap the good things. If you stay within those, those guidelines, you can reap rewards. 
But what happens when you step outside of that? There is pain. You realize that? There's pain. You can make the decisions, you can make the choices, whatever your eyes see, whatever you want to do, but there's pain. You can spend as much money as you have and then more and borrow and spend more and you can live life up to the hilt with what you want, but you're going to receive and experience the, the pain of debt, the pain of that heaviness. You can eat whatever you want. You can, you can just forget about your health, but you may end up dealing with heart disease or other issues that come with those things. You can choose not to spend time with your kids and with your career and do those types of things, but what is going to suffer is going to be the relationship that you have with them. You're going to lash out at your, at your friends or at your, at your family members at home and, and have a sharp tongue, but you're going to be receiving and reaping the benefits of a relationship that's strained. And so we know this principle is at work, and one of our jobs as a parent is really to teach that this works in both ways, in positive ways and in negative ways. And when we set these consequences, we set these boundaries as parents, we get to determine the reaping and the rewarding, the pain and, and the consequences that come with that. And our job as a parent is to make these things out here so painful that even if they choose that, they'll learn that lesson. Because when we pay for something, we learn. And what's so hard as a parent sometimes is just to sit by and watch that happen, isn't it? It's how do we, how do we keep those, those, those consequences and, and, and how do we dole those out? So there's two ways that you can have the consequences. You can have either um, reality consequences or relational consequences. One is good and one is bad. Reality, reality consequences, we deal with them in, in, in life all the time, right? You go too fast, you get a speeding ticket. You're going to pay for that. I mean, it just has to, has, to, has to go hand in hand. At home, you know you don't eat your dinner, you don't get dessert. It's a reality consequence. You don't have your homework done, you don't get TV time or media time or your phone. You take the car out too late the next time, you don't get to take it for a while. There's a, there's a pain that comes with that, reality consequence. And as parents, we have the opportunity to set those. But so many times we slip into this negative mode of relational consequences. And this is when we as parents slip into that anger mode, right? We get angry or we withhold love or withhold affection and we act wounded because of the decision that the child made and we let them feel that tension of the relationship has been severed. You misbehave, you act in this way and so now I am wounded as a parent. And we put that back on the kid and we put guilt or shame. And then there's the sense of if I act right and if the kid thinks if I do everything right, then I will receive mom and dad's love and affection. And that is so dangerous. God doesn't work that way. And sometimes because we've experienced that in our own lives as kids, we think God works that way. That if I do everything right, if I do all this, then he'll love me. This isn't where love is found. This is the loving environment where God is. But our relationship should never withhold from the consequence, uh, uh, get in the way of these consequences. So if we, if we set this boundary here, as a parent, there's freedom in that. Because we can say, look, this is where you're going to find the best life for you if you stay within these boundaries. You can go outside of them. And even if you do, I'm still going to love you. See, this is where we can have empathy. And this is what happens when we can set a boundary and stick to it and not get emotional, not get personally involved. We just make that decision. I'm sorry, you made a bad call. I wish you could go with us to the movies, but you didn't do the chores I asked you to do, so you have to stay home. And what kids are going to do is going, Mom, Dad, you're, you're so bad. You're so mean. Why would you do this to me? Ever, ever hear that? Ever say that, right? You're the bad guy. But what we get to say is we get to point back and say, you knew that was the deal. That was the boundary. You chose not to 
not to do that. You, did, you chose not to do your chores, so here's the consequence. You don't get to do that. What we can do when we keep it as reality consequences and not relational, we can actually come alongside of, the, of our kid and say, I'm sorry, I really wish you could go to the movies with us. I really do. I want you to be able to do that. And my heart is sad that, that you're not coming. We can align with them because it's not a condition of our love. The love is always there. God's love for us is always there. No matter which side of this uh, line that we're on, God's love is always there. And the goal, even as parents, is for us to stay connected, to stay engaged. But we're trying to teach them is if you sow irresponsibility, you're going re- to reap pain. If you sow responsibility, there will be rewards, and life works in that way. And God is just so patient with us. Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says this. Don't you realize how kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Or don't you care? Can't you see how he has been giving you time to turn from your sin? And see, when we step outside of God's boundaries, there's sin there. And God is saying, look, I'm not just here to wallop you and to whack you and to just, you know, beat you into submission. He's saying he's patient. He's tolerant. He's saying there's time to turn. But what causes us to turn? What causes children to turn? When we start experiencing that pain. Pain is sometimes one of the best lessons in life. When you pay for something, when you experience pain, and we don't want our kids to learn the hard way. We don't want people to learn the hard way, but sometimes that's the only way we learn. That's the only way we learn our faith. That's the only way we grow in our, in our lives. And so when we experience that pain, we start understanding what God has for us. Now, if we just stopped here in this, kind of, this model, this is where too many times we stop as a church or as we understand God in Scripture. And it becomes this model of, you know, live right and you're going to reap rewards. Do the right thing and, and all's going to be well with God. And, and then try to be the perfect Christian, the perfect follower of Christ. And it ends there. So work harder, do more, pray more, give more, be more loving, and then God will be right with you. That's not the gospel. That's not what scripture teaches. There is one more key important element in this whole process. And I want to close with a story that you know in scripture or many of you probably know in scripture, is the story of the prodigal son. You see, when we're trying to teach this series, we're looking at how God loves us to try to understand how we parent. But here, Jesus is trying to help us understand God, and so he's telling us a story of a family. And so Jesus is, is out, and he's telling the story of a father who had, who had great wealth. He had an estate, he had servants, he had, he had fields, and he had two sons. And, and I want you to see if you can see this, uh, what's happening here at play in this story. So these sons life, are with him. Life is great. He's created this loving environment. They're working hard. They're probably, you know, probably in their late teens, early 20s. That doesn't say, but I'm guessing because they're working the fields. And, and they're having this great relationship with their father. Life is good. And then the son comes, the younger son comes, and he says, I want my share of the inheritance. And we can't even fathom really asking that. Even in today's culture, could you imagine going, you know, my dad is 75, and for me to go to him and say, Dad, I, you know, I know you've got me in your will and whatever. Can I have my share now? It's basically like wishing someone dead. It's basically saying, I can't wait for that. It's not a blessing that I receive later, but I just want that. I don't care about you. That's what the son basically said. And the father had every right to refuse that. He could have said, no, I'm not doing that. But Jesus is trying to teach us about our heavenly father. And this father in the story says, okay. Okay, he gave freedom. And he divided the estate in half. Now, could you imagine a young, a young man receiving half of this estate that this father had? 
He was drunk with dreams and possibilities of what he could do as he saw the resources in front of him. He, he hadn't developed right the, the necessary capacities yet to understand how to handle all that. And when he saw it all, he said, I am out of here. I am done. And he left this loving environment because he thought life was found out here. And he wanted to live large. And those Benjamins were just flying, right? I mean, he was having a good time with his friends and, and living it up and buying whatever he desired. And life was good. And he was having a blast, except when the money ran out, the friendships ran out, the love ran out, and he really didn't see what, he began to see what was really there, and that was nothing that was out here was fulfilling him. And he came to a point where he experienced tremendous pain. There's a scene that Jesus is talking about, and here's the son who once had it all. He's in a pit with pigs, right? In a pig pen. And he's feeding them these pods. He's trying to eke out whatever he can for survival. And he looks at the food and he just thinks, man, if I could just eat some of this. And he's trying to, he's eating pig food. And in that moment, he thinks back to what he had before. He thinks back to how it was at his father's house. And he thinks, man, if I could just go back. But I know I can't go back as a son. Maybe I can go back. I'll just ask him if I could be a servant. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against you. And he comes aware of this, of this pain. And what happens here is not just experiencing pain, but what he experienced in this moment is a broken heart. He really came to the point of understanding, I've messed up. I have sinned, not only against my Father, but against heaven. And when he comes to that point, it says he came to his senses and he made his way back and he's rehearsing this speech of how he's going to ask for forgiveness. And now we get to see what happens in this parenting relationship. How is this father going to respond to the son who squandered, squandered half of what his father has worked for his entire life? He blew it in an instant. He basically wished him dead. He ran away. He went off and had nothing to do with dad. How would most fathers react to that? You know, maybe he had to be out in the field working every day to try to rebuild what was there. And the son comes back and the servant tells him, your son's outside. And he says, forget about him, man. Send him away. He's squandered everything. He's lost it all. He's basically told me he wants me dead. I'm done with him. Let him go. But this father didn't do that. What we read in Scripture is that this father stood and waited. He looked and he said, in a, when he saw him off in the distance, his love and filled with love and compassion, he ran towards his son. His father ran towards his son. He was sitting there waiting each and every day. He never withdrew his love from his son. He let him receive the consequences. He didn't bail him out of that, but he never withheld his love. And in that moment, when he saw his, his son, as a parent does, filled with love and compassion, he ran towards his son, and he embraced him. And in that moment, the son, he'd been practicing a speech, right? He'd been practicing everything he wanted to say. I'm going to tell him, I've sinned against you and against heaven on earth, and I just want to be one of your servants, and maybe you can just take me in. And as he's getting ready to say all this, I just see the father going, shh, no. And he embraces him. Why? Because he saw that there was a broken spirit there. He understood that the son, he, it didn't matter what he said anymore. He showed it in his actions. And we can tell as parents, can't we, when our kids really mean if they're sorry or not? Or when a person does or a spouse, right? You ask your kids, are you sorry? Oh, I'm sorry, dad. You're like, you're not sorry, you know? But when they say, I'm so sorry, dad. I didn't know. I'm so sorry. I feel bad. And you go, that's all you're looking for as a parent. You're looking for that, that spirit that's been broken in a good way because it's able to receive what's there. And the father in the story that Jesus tells about, 
I think he just sees that in his son. By the action, he comes. And what does he do in that moment? Again, he embraces him, he hugs him. And look at this line that it says in Luke 15. This, we must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. I love this story. I love this verse as an understanding of a father that he's willing to throw a party. That in, in, in this economy of God, it doesn't just end here in love and punishment, rewards and consequences. That when the broken spirit is there, there's forgiveness. And there's grace. And these things lead us back into right relationship with God when our heart and our spirit is broken in Psalms, when, when David sinned in an egregious way, when he was confronted with his sin and, and, and confessed, he wrote the Psalm, Psalm 51. And in the Psalm, it just says, what the Lord is after, what God is after, is a broken spirit and a contrite heart. He doesn't want all the sacrifices. He doesn't want all the stuff. He just wants our heart. And in that moment, his grace flows and the forgiveness is there and restoration comes back. You are my beloved son. You're my son. Put a ring on his finger. Put a robe on his back. Put sandals on his feet. Let's throw a party because the son that was lost has returned back home. And when I think about parenting and I think about all the things that we're trying to do to shape our children in this process of dis discipline or discipleship, it's a process of teaching them that there's a sensitivity in their heart that comes back to their character and their faith that leans on God, that finds dependence on him where there's grace and forgiveness in his parents when our kids do things. Yes, there's consequences and there's rewards and punishment, but in the end when we see their heart sensitive and open and broken, there's always grace. It always welcomes back the lost child. And so whether you have maybe a lost son or daughter or you're praying for them and you're aching over them, don't stop keeping watch for them. And when you see their heart is broken and their spirit is broken, there's always that, that, that grace and that forgiveness that flows. And we always have another chance to begin. And as we wrap up the series and finish today as we close in, in, in worship, how are you going to respond? What's God speaking to you? Some of you as parents right now, you're just, there's a situation in your home that's just weighing heavy on you. Or maybe as a, as a father and a mother, you need to get to come together and understand how are we going to do this as parents? We need more wisdom. We need guidance. Let's talk about some of these things that we talked about. And we have a discussion guide for you. You can take that home and you can talk about it and really work through some of these things. I think there'll be great benefit for you in that. But maybe it's just a moment today where you need to pray. You need to light a candle for a wayward son or a daughter. Or maybe they're going through something. You light that candle and go, God, I just pray that your spirit and your light would shine into their life, that they too would come to their senses as we read in that story and know you. Or maybe you write a prayer request on the crosses. But maybe this morning it's not at all about parenting, but it's about you. You've, you've wondered if you could come back to God because, man, you haven't done it all right. You've messed up, you've screwed up, and you think, I gotta start acting right, I start living right, I gotta start doing the right things when God is just saying, just come with your heart broken. Come with the messiness, but this desire to wanna be back in right relationship, and God says, I'll forgive you. Let's begin again. Come on back. I love you. I wanna start over again. Let's go. Let's do this. Let's stand together. Let's pray, and just respond as God puts it on your heart to respond and let me just pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are our Father and that we have a story like this that Jesus told that just reminds us we don't need to fear you. We don't need to be worried about all the garbage and 
challenges and struggles that we faced in life, but God, that you are faithful to forgive and to give us the grace to begin anew. And this wonderful message is what we celebrate each and every Sunday here, that you are a grace-giving Father and that full life is found in you. Thank you for loving us and thank you for giving us freedom. Even though we make bad decisions and there's pain involved with those and sometimes we continue to deal with the, that, those consequences, but God, we know that in that freedom, we have the freedom to love you too. And we thank you for that. Guide us as parents if we have families. And if we don't, God, just help us to know how to respond to others and to children all around us and in our relationship with you. We love you, Jesus. Amen.